0: This is Dad Mentality. I am Rodney Glover. I'm your host. So we're going to tell you a little bit about ourselves. Hello, 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 hello. and welcome to Dad Mentality. I am your host, Rodney Glover. I'm glad to be here this week. We'll do another week, fellas. Uh, I'm excited about this week. We have an, a guest uh, that is on that I've been wanting to have on the show for a while. We finally got her here, but let's start off with my co-host. You know, I don't do this by myself, so I'll do it with my friends on this journey. My man, Mike Albies, aka Albeezy.
1: What's up, Albeezy? Hi everybody? What's up, everybody? What's up, everybody?
0: So, what's up, man? Everything is good. And, uh, you know, also my other co-host, my friend from the beginning. You know, we've known each other since we were four years old. Fresh out the sandbox. My man, Vance Robs, Hey, Coach. What's up, Coach? Hey, what's going on, everybody? How y'all doing today? Man, we're doing good. So, fellas, fellas, well, I'm, I'm excited. We finally got, we finally got her here. I've been wanting to have this young lady on for a long time. I'll give you a quick story about how I met her um we did a show with a bunch of my friends from uh the 45 neighborhood i have a friend his name is melvin uh very you know we grew up from that teenage years up to now we're very close friends melvin one day called us and said you know uh my girlfriend is going to throw a party for me and she we're going to go out to uh and and you know go hang out and she wants me to invite all my friends and i was like does she know what she about to get herself into inviting us to a closed area and in, in, in part, you know, for your birthday, maybe she don't know. So I was kind of worried. I told my wife, I don't know if this is going to work out, but let me tell you something, man, we got out there, we had a good time. I met this young lady and she was, a am- she was amazing. She was at, at this point in time, I don't even think she was even in comedy, but she was Funny. She was definitely a great hostess. And, I mean, I thought we would be too much for her. She was damn near too much for us. So mm-hmm. we had a great time. But I want to tell you a little bit of, about her. She's from uh, out in Illinois. She's now in the Merlin area. She's what I consider the hardest working woman I know in this area doing comedy. She's been on Fox 5. She's done shows with names like Joe Click, Michael uh, Coy, Damon Williams, she also, she's also done stuff with Melanie Camacho. She also hosts her own shows here in the DMV area at, at Bar 210. You can catch her there. April 27th. And she also is a host of Curls, Cuts, and Comedy. She's starting her own poolside hour, uh, poolside uh, uh, comedy show she's going to be doing. And unfortunately, and she's also... You can catch her at Dutchess in, in New York, Newark, New Jersey. You can catch her at uh, Comedy in Harlem in, in, uh, in NYC. You can also catch her, like I said, on May 19th at Curl's Cuts and Comedy in Brian's Road. I call her the first lady of comedy in a D- DMV, but she's, she's definitely traveled more than, and done so many different things, but she is my friend. And a great comedy genius, the Gwen Factor. How
2: you doing, Gwen? Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Rodney. Hey, Thank man. you for that amazing intro. I'm going to take your ass on the road with
0: me. Hey, hey, out. Okay. <laughs> yes. And I work for drinks too. So I'm I super-
2: know, you cheap, water, I take that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but you know, um, I'm I'm glad you finally made it to the show. Uh I've I've been excited about having you here. So Thanks for having me, too. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, we're going to go ahead and start with what we start with every week, which is our Twitch mental health check-in. Oh, I'm sorry. And Everett is here, too, our producer. My man, I know you're here listening. You're going to do your check-in, so I'll get you (laughs) there. But, um, yeah, so let's uh, start with our mental health check-in. If nobody wants to go first, I'll go first, because I actually have a long story. It's up to Uh, y'all. Anybody else? Go ahead. Go ahead. Get it out. I'm going to go ahead and get it out, fellas. So this week, I was having a, a great week. I was Everything was good, uh, and everything was going great until two things happened. And I'll go ahead and explain it to you. One, one I listened to that Foreign, uh, foreign Exchange album that uh, our guest last week, Sergeant uh, Jamil Garrett, told us to listen to. And that started my week off terrible, because that joint was garbage. I don't know, Vance. If you listen to it, but uh, it was garbage. I was not Uh happy. I was like, "Yeah, he done lost. He lost credibility after all that stuff he talked in that great session." Second, my car was stolen on uh Friday, so damn that put everything at a hurt. Technically, it wasn't stolen because you know, I I was I left my damn keys. In the riding lawnmower and these kids were just running through the neighborhood found my keys and took my car so the good news is i have onstar um and they were able to cut the car off and find it immediately you know but right now it's in the impound lot i don't know if it's damaged i don't know if it has anything you know anything wrong with it but you know when i when i do get it i'm damn sure gonna look at every inch of it and and complain about whatever so i can get it fixed for free or at least on my assurance that that I'm going to have to pay for anyway. So, Mm -hmm. But so now my week, I put it at about a 64.5. I'm glad that nobody got hurt. The kids uh, were, we have video of these these kids just running through the neighborhood, checking people's doors and stuff like that. And uh, they actually went to one of my neighbors, um, one of my neighbor's garage, which they had access. The, The son took out the trash and left the garage door open. So they had access to the house to go in the house, but, Luckily, as they went into the garage, that's when they found my car keys, and then they hopped in my car and just left. Wow. Instead of going, if they were gonna go in the house, they didn't because they hit the jackpot ahead of time. So so anyway, so they took my car. And that, that's my week. So I'm about a 6.5, but things will get better. I'm you know, I'm still keeping my head up. I just hope my car comes back in in some type of good form. So anyway. Mm. All right, fellas, who wants to go next? Anybody want to follow that?
3: Uh-huh, go I'll go.
1: Oh, you go, go, go ahead, Vance.
3: Yeah, I'm probably about a seven right now. I mean, the week started off um, pretty hectic. Um, uh, oh, you know what I'm saying? Of course, you know what I'm saying? Kids are back in school this week after being out last week. Um, Easter was outstanding, so, um, which was definitely a good thing. Um, my oldest is home from college, you know what I'm saying, for a couple of days. So that's always good to have the whole crew here. Um but work is is testing me. You know what I'm saying? It's testing me mentally. Um, not really physically, but mentally it's definitely challenging me right now. So just gotta get over a couple of hurdles, you know what I'm saying, with that. Um towards the middle and end of the week, things got, of course, a little bit better, you know what I'm saying, as we got into the weekend. Uh, work tried me on Friday. Um, but I let it go. And then Saturday and Sunday were pretty good. Today Today's pretty good. You know what I'm saying? Took my little one out uh on a date for a birthday. Oh, so no. her birthday was last Saturday. Um, so me and my wife try to do individual time with them um at least once a once a month. So that way they get access to us, you know what I'm saying, without everybody else yelling and screaming. So um today we went to Buffalo Wild Wings, hung out for a little bit. So, came home, exercised, feel a whole lot better now. Now we're on a podcast. So, I'm a, I'm a solid seven. So, That's for sure. I did yep.
0: start walking, so you should be proud of me. Not because- I am proud
3: of you. Gone, but I did- I am
1: proud of you. huh, I'm saying, you ain't got
3: no car? Yeah, yeah, You're gonna have to walk a lot right <laughs> now, yeah.
0: Right. right. Yeah, but thing, you got a bicycle too. You can always jump on that bike. Mm. And I put, that, put that out for them to steal too, and they didn't. I'm kind <laughs> yeah. but uh how go ahead. How was your week?
1: I'm gonna go with a nine, man. It's been a good week.
0: All
1: right. Yeah, yeah, I would say uh it would be a ten if working it sucked so bad. But other than that, there's everything the kids are happy, everybody's getting along. Me and the ex are getting along, shit. What? Everything, yeah, yeah, I I know. I know. Wow. Nice must have been like like all the plants aligned and shit like that. So it's been it's been good.
3: You know it's an eclipse coming up out, oh, man. So that that could right. be it. right. There you go. There you go.
1: <laughs> Probably needs you to fix the car or something, shopping. Why are you up first?
3: <laughs> no,
1: no, no, no. I mean I, like like she like during Easter, you know, we we kinda like split the day with the kids, so everything went well there. Um which mean, I just I always plan on like some sort of argument or something during the holidays, but everything went good. The, the kids are on spring break, so they're happy, they're chilling, and you know, like I said, work sucks, but my personal life has, has been good. Really good. So, right.
0: Something new happened in the personal life to make it real good? Or
1: it's good? Well, a lot new going on in my personal life. We I mean, lose that smile. Hear, <laughs> you
0: want to hear a little bit about the new stuff? Anything you want to share? Yeah, i am here
1: later, later.
0: Alright. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> You know, Everett, you you up, brother.
3: Tell us yo, how your yo, week was. Yo. Uh my week wasn't good, man. Um, you know what? I say over all, all about a good eight and a half. There's some things that, you know, couldn't improve. Uh of course, you know, nothing gonna be perfect, but um it's eight and a half because this weekend is Coachella and I just been kinda of watching all these musical acts I've never heard of um play live all weekend. So uh that's been like the most exciting part of my week so far
0: that sounds, sounds nice uh, unfortunately i don't follow Coachella like that i should I, I would i wouldn't mind watching it but uh you know
3: yeah frank ocean is the uh headline this if you're um interested so okay
0: uh, i think about it i don't know let's see if i'm still sober by the end of the night but it's all right but <laughs>
3: i'm sorry i i should mention the tonight it's like, it's gonna be like 2 o'clock in the
0: morning because it is the kind So. Right.
2: Yeah. Three hours.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I'll probably be asleep. I got to wake up tomorrow and look, go get my car out of there. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Oh, Quinn, tell us about your week, right? it from uh, zero to 10 and, you know, give us a little bit about what went on in your week.
2: Well, I don't know where I really fall. All of y'all sound like y'all have amazing weeks. I feel like each of my weeks is just chaotic. I was thinking my week was like three. Wow. <laughs> now y'all making me feel like maybe I should up my number a little bit cause I can't be on oh, a no, three. No. Three is like, I just wish I was dead damn near. So I guess I won't say three. Let me just say it was a five cause it had its highs and its lows. I am in the middle of a remodel, bathroom remodel project from hell right now. And uh, I really thought this one was going to be smoother because my last one was about 23 years ago. So I felt like, okay, this ain't my first rodeo. I'm gonna be able to plan this. Uh, I had a company come in this time and do it um, because previously, you know, I use like Pookie's Cousin that do... Um, you know, do basement remodel type things, bathroom remodels. And they came in 20-something years ago, gave me a good price, but I've had problems with the bathroom on and off over the years and stuff. So I decided I was going to go through with the company. And I've discovered a lot of things are different between getting your stuff fixed or repaired or remodeling when you go with a legitimate company Versus the hood hookup as I like to call it. <laughs> so um I'm gonna write a whole set about it, I believe, because it's just so many disparagements between the two. Like, you know, like the company, they bring their own room and trash bags and things to clean up. Well, the hood hookup asks you for young room. Do you <laughs> have your trash bags? Uh two. The company lays little tarps and things down to walk across so that they're not messing up your floor. You know, the hood hookup don't do that.
3: Mm-hmm. None of that.
2: Um, number three, and I'm going to just leave it at three because there was a lot more. But three, the company, the little Hispanic boy, he bought a little table that he unfolded to be able to cut his wood and to cut things that he needed to do. Well, the hood hookup drank one of my flower pots and from the backyard over to the driveway and used it as the thing to balance the wood and cut the wood off. So again, big difference um, at the end of the day. And it's just really what you're looking for, I think. But um, I still don't turn down a good hood hookup because at the end of the day, I had to get the hood hookup to come in here and do the tile work. Cause they didn't save any of my tiles, and my tiles was 23 years old and huh. we couldn't replace them. So I had to start from scratch and the company wanted $10,000 just to put some tile on the wall and to do some drywall work. And I was like, Oh no, nah, we going back to Pookie's crackhead cousin. We got a
1: wood, a
2: wood hookup. Cause the company that tapped me out. I mean, I'm down here scraping at the bottom of the bucket just to pay the hood hooker. Okay. Cause, oh, cause you know, they only take cash.
3: Right.
2: <laughs> uh, it was a far cry cause we dropped that number from 10 down to 1700. And I was like, that's you a number I can get behind. Yeah, uh, I guess I will say it was an eight on us on a money saver situation. Cause I went into the week completely overwhelmed trying to figure out like, how much ass I could sell to make $10,000. <laughs> like, how many times I'd have to cheat on Melvin to come up with this money. You know, <laughs> stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of taken the stress off of me a little bit. Um, so I'm going I'm with a seven. And then I, I ended off my week. Did a great show last night at the Baltimore Comedy Factory uh, with Damon Williams out of Chicago. So I, I'm, I'm giving it a seven. It, it ended on top.
0: Okay. Good stuff. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so how much ass did you have to sell to get to 1700 Well, I actually didn't have
2: to because we was able to go into the emergency savings right. uh, for that. Melvin's, of course, because I don't save. Um, uh-huh. I, I'm a, I'm a long term saver. I'm a very good long term saver because I decided a long time ago I didn't want to be old and broke. Uh-huh. But that it's more tolerable to be young and broke. Because you know, when you're young, you can hustle, you know, you can be out there in the streets, you can find that way, but when you are old, you can't be doing all that. So I have I have substantial long-term savings, just not short term savings.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
2: And you know, I got a lot of hustles, so there's a variety of ways, but you know, one way or the other, I'm gonna get that seventeen hundred dollars.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: what I'm talking
0: about, absolutely.
2: Got to tell a few more jokes in the next couple of weeks. Got to sell a few more edibles, you know. Got to do what you got to do. Oh. Uh-huh.
0: Do what you got to do. So now, something kind of brought up that um, you, you are older in age, and when did you start comedy? And if you don't mind telling us, like, if you want to tell us each range opposed to your age that you started, because. Like I got, well, it's talk kind of a two part question. When did you first realize you wanted to be a comedian? And when did you actually start doing comedy?
2: So it's kind of like a multi answer question. Cause, uh, I feel like I always wanted to be a comedian. Cause I was always like that kid that was always running their mouth, that was always in the class and disturbing the class. Like I always got that check mark, disrupting the class, disrupting the class. Cause I was always talking shit. Yeah. And, um, but we grew up in different times then, you know, I wish I would have told my Baptist Deacon daddy that I wanted to be a comedian or I wanted to become an actress or something like that. We just weren't raised in them times. My parents fought very hard You know, they were during the era of trying to give voting rights for blacks. You know, Uh, they both went to uh, historical black colleges. So, I mean, they were very big on education. My mother was a school teacher. So it was all about education. If you wanted to do something in the arts, like for them, I played the piano at church. Okay. So that was considered, that was your area. If you want to be artsy, you do that. Um. But it just was never anything that I remotely even thought about. Um, But I've always known I was funny. But it wasn't until after my bout with breast cancer in 2018 that I really started to look at it seriously Um, for two reasons. One, I had several people come to visit me. Um, and just to give you a little history, I had uh breast cancer in both my breasts. Uh, and I had a partial mastectomy on one and then uh, radiation and surgical treatment on the other, and they were both reconstructed, but it was fabulous because they gave me these wonderful little 20-year-old titties I got now, so you <laughs> know. um, so I'm not upset at all. It was a, a it was a wonderful journey. And so when the people would come over. I would just kind of tell them stories about, you know, the surgery and the doctor and the different things that I experienced when I was going through the process of it. And basically, I just looked at the funny of it and tried to find something good and funny out of it versus looking at the negative. Like I said, you know, most women across the board... Um, To get cancer is one thing, but to get breast cancer, to lose your breast. Your breast is all tied to your femininity, your womanhood. Uh, It's, you know, it's what you need for children, you know, to breastfeed your children. So to lose your breast is a big thing for a woman. So, of course, when I first got the cancer, I was like, no, black Jesus, not the titties. (laughs) The titties. Anywhere else, but not the titties. So... I had to just look at it along the lines of saying, okay, we're not going to harp on the fact that you've lost your breasts. We're going to look at the glass half full and say, well, you had like triple D titties, Gwen, and you had been wanting a breast reduction, but you couldn't afford it and God gave you a little cancer, look at God. Won't he do it? You uh, got you a it? whole new, free, brand new, these are my $50 copays, cause that's all they cost me was $50. Boom. And um, that's the way I had to look at it. I just had, you know, had to say some great things came out of this, you know? When I woke up from surgery, I was very excited to see my breast and I looked down and I saw nipples. I was like, ooh, I ain't seen them in 25 years. So that was a blessing too. Um, So it was just all the way around a good thing. And everybody was like, you could possibly be an inspiration for other women. uh, And that you should probably take this like out on the circuit, on the comedy circuit. And so I didn't think much of it at the time, but I did kind of play it back in the back of my mind and said, You know, when you've worked your whole life very hard, you've done what your parents expected. You raised your kids. You've done everything. Now it's maybe time to do something for you. God left you here for a reason because he very well could have taken me out through the cancer, but he didn't. So it was, I guess I was 52, 52, 53, um, when I decided that I was going to follow my dream, and start deciding, you know, to see what I needed to do to become a comedian. So um, first, I wasn't really sure how to start and go about it, but my window of opportunity came when uh, an old uh, boyfriend of mine called, uh, who was a DJ, because this was back in the 80s and 90s and whatnot, back in my heyday when I bartended, But anyway, he calls and says, I'm working at this comedy club. Why don't you come on through? They just started doing comedy shows. Come check it out. So it was Friday. I didn't really have anything to do. And I said, let me go check it out. So I get there, and the show was good overall. I mean, it was good. It was funny. I enjoyed myself. But I do remember thinking I could get up there and do that. I could very well see me doing that. So at the end... I went to him and I said, can you tell me who is the producer of the show who I need to talk to about getting on one of these shows? Now, mind you, again, I didn't know the ins and outs of comedy. And the ins and outs is you're supposed to start and go to open mics. And you're supposed to write material and you go and work it out at these open mics and you work on it until it gets better and better. And then eventually, you know, maybe a year or so down the road, you might actually get a show and get paid and things like that. But from what I understand, it's a very long process. And I decided I ain't had time to do all that. Because, again, a bitch is old. I need to make it and get famous fast, you know. Well, well. I don't have 20 years to be fooling around trying to climb the ladder. I was like, I, I got to skip some of these steps. So um, the man said come back on Sunday. Uh, I do a clean comedy act. Well, that was a challenge right there. He says, I do a clean Christian brudge thing here on Sunday. He said, come back with three minutes of comedy and we'll go from there. If you are able to do well, then I'll book you for a show. So I immediately went home and all of these little stories and anecdotes I have been telling about my cancer, I wrote down and then I put into what I considered a joke format. Now, mind you, I don't know, at this point in am writing, but I don't know what the joke formula actually is in real life. I do now, of course, but at the time, I'm just writing, like how I talk. And so I put my three minutes together and went up there on Sunday, I rehearsed in the mirror, I did my thing, I mean, and got up there, and blew it out the water and knocked them Christians off their feet with my little three <laughs> clean minutes of comedy. And it's a good thing it wasn't more cause I can't be clean, but about three minutes. So uh, that was, got me through the door and I did my very first show a week later. And at this point now they told me, they gave me seven minutes, five to seven minutes. So I added some more material. Uh, And again, this was all just around my breast cancer. Um, So now I want to say my breast cancer set, I probably have about 20 minutes of breast cancer material because I've expanded on what I started with. Uh, But a lot of that I don't do unless I'm headlining or it's breast cancer month. So uh, that was my original material, but I've since written more material and do other things now but that's what got me started um and so like i said i did that first show uh uh, with a comedian out of the uh, virginia beach tidewater area called bodacious uh who was on deaf comedy jam back in the days uh so that was you know an honor to be on the stage with him and then i turned around and was able to Convinced them to put me on another show in a couple more weeks. And that was when I opened for George Wilborn for four shows. Um, So then after that, I kept thinking like, okay, you've done really well here. But me being the educated person that I am and feeling like, okay, I feel like I'm comfortable and know this but i still need some formal training so i decided i was going to sign up and take some classes some improv classes and different things uh which i did and then i was going to write more material and then i would go back out there to do more shows after i had done that so that was like december of 2019 and i did a few uh showcases uh, and then Curls, Cuts, and the Comedy Body Oasis reached out about wanting to do a comedy show. And we did one show, and that was my very first paid gig, and it was March 6th. And a week later, the world shut down. And mm. I felt like, okay, I guess that's the end of my comedy career because I didn't know what, what to do uh, whereas a lot of the other comedians had shifted the paradigm to Instagram to zoom you know to doing things uh you know virtually and i really wasn't savvy enough in technology to really do that so i pretty much figured well i had a nice run i got a chance to fulfill you know uh something off my bucket list, you know, I could just check off. And um, I just kind of went back to my regular life pretty much after that. And so for a whole year, uh, sat at home like everybody else did, (laughs) ate, got fat, you know, all the typical stuff. And, but my friends started noticing that uh, that I was coming down with like severe depression. Yeah. Uh, which I think a lot of people were, you know. I'd already had um, struggles with depression on and off over the years, and this whole seclusion thing and not having any type of social outlet just was not good for me. Uh, and so finally, a couple of friends reached out, and they were like, look, we need to do something virtual. And... They had the capabilities to do it because, again, I didn't know how, but they did, and they were like, we're willing to do a show with you. Uh, it was Valentine's was coming up, so we decided to make it a Valentine's show virtually for people to log in. Um, and so that kind of got me up like my folk, because now I had to write a 45-minute comedy set. And that particular one, I talked about COVID, I talked about Valentine's Day, being married. I remember that. Um, a oh. variety of different things, because what um, anyone that's seen my sets know that my comedy is just basically uh, an analogy of my life. It's a lot of life stories that I've taken. I've had a lot of tragedy, a lot of happiness too, but I've been able to take those events and make them funny. Uh, so I would say probably 95% of the comedy that I do is based on true stories either in my life or someone in my family or someone in my circle that I write about. Because I tell people, there's no whole bar. If you're in my life and you do some funny shit, oh, hell yeah, I'm going to talk about your ass and change the name to protect you, but I'm going to tell that damn story and get them laughs. So... Did the virtual show, and it went really well, way better than I ever expected. So I then took that and expanded on it. Did a virtual Mother's Day show, which I actually filmed, um, and you can get it on Sharezo.com. Uh, is where I upload all of my comedy content to. Uh, but it was a uh, a full one hour Mother's Day show called "It's a Mother." being a mother
3: Boom. which Boom. it
2: is uh and so basically it was about a 45 50 minute set of material about kids being a mother uh being a stepmother being married three times i've had uh two sets of stepchildren uh and both sets were different and interesting in both ways which again made for great material um so then i uh, and after that, I got um, I got a call from a fellow comedian because uh, now the vaccine was out, people were getting the vaccines, things were starting to open up a little bit more, and I got a call from a comedian asked me to come and do a show, and I don't know it just it it just went from there. I just went from having that show to then another show and another and another. And then I think around um, one of the things that stuck with me that George Wilborn told me was he said, if you want to be a really great comedian, he said, you need to travel. Do not get stuck into your area of only learning how to make folks in D.C. laugh. Do not get hemmed up with learning what makes only them laugh and knowing local things that are funny. If, uh, if you want to be a national or world comedian. And so we were still working at home, but that stuck in my head. And I was like, the country's not in a good place. And I swear to God, I'm not making this up, and this is not a joke, but God spoke to me. And God said, Gwen, travel across the country and make motherfuckers laugh. And I swear to God, that's exactly the way he said it.
0: Let me ask you a question. When, um, when you do travel and, like you said, you, you go to all these different places, it, is the comedy scene in all these different places different? Like, when you go to Chicago, or you go to New York, is it is like a whole different vibe? Or oh, absolutely.
2: Kind of like- I mean, it's... <clears throat> I mean, New York was actually a place that I feared going to because, you know... New York is one of those, it can tear you down. They'll,
0: they'll boo you in New York. They'll. Oh,
2: they'll boo you, they'll tear you down. I mean, you know, but they also say if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. Uh, I personally went to New York. I didn't go my first year because I felt like I needed to, you know, get my game and tighten it and be where I needed to be before I actually went up there to try to conquer New York. But when I did finally go there, I mean, I got mad love in New York. So, I mean, I was like, damn, I wish I had gone sooner. But I feel like at the end of the day, timing is everything. And the time when I went is what it was meant for me to go there. But uh, they're all different. I've done Vegas. Uh, Vegas was probably one of the easiest places because it's very touristy. And you're getting people from all over the country. So, And they're there for pure entertainment, so they're not there. To be honest, the hardest place to make people laugh is right here, right here at home. I swear to God, D.C. is probably one of the hardest places to do comedy. People come in, and they come in with this like this, and they're like, you're going to make me laugh. I mean, they, they come in expecting you to be able to... Get them out of their funk and make them laugh versus just coming in wanting to have a good time with it. But um, I've done LA, I've done Atlanta, uh, New York, Pennsylvania, Philly, all those there. And they're different because they're culturally different. I went to uh, Memphis. Now, Memphis is very different because now you're talking about more Southern. Uh, but me being from Illinois and kind of from the Midwest country, I could relate to them. So that was pretty easy. Um, I would have to say for me, it was probably Atlanta was probably one of the hardest areas, but I ultimately I still did well in Atlanta. I want to showcase down there, but Atlanta is a little bit tougher than some other places.
0: Carlos, any of y'all got any questions?
1: Yeah, besides DC. Of course, being your favorite where where would you like to go the most? I seem I did watch your Harlem one and Harlem did welcome you like crazy with open arms but where where is a place that you love to go if you could to do your your show
2: um so I get hit up on social media all the time, people asking me when I'm coming here, when I'm coming there, so some of the places I have lined up this year and some I don't have lined up, but I hope to get to. Um, is I'll be in North Carolina. I'm definitely trying to get down south. Uh, so I'll be in North Carolina twice in May. And then, uh, I want to get to Dallas. Uh, Detroit,
3: Mm -hmm. uh, is on my, uh,
2: on my bucket list. Um, then going back out West to like Denver.
0: Um, all the places that, uh, marijuana is legal.
2: Uh, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that hey, that too that <laughs> right.
2: I I always tell people I wonder if that's part of the reason why I keep going back to Vegas. There, back
1: there, Vegas.
3: There. Um,
2: because I did my first experience in Vegas. It was I had an amazing time, but I caught COVID in Vegas. Oh. So, uh, but it made for some great material because. Basically, it was like, all right. So clearly, everything that happened in Vegas don't always stay in Vegas. Yeah, hey, but COVID's shown up, brought his ass back here to DC with me.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But uh, yeah. I would say, and uh, overseas, I hear a lot of comedians oh. talk about uh, Germany doing things over for the troops and things like that. So, I mean, ultimately, I'd like to be able to travel across the world and do some. Uh, but you know, on that. When you do things like that, like your comedy has to be very um, general and appealing to everyone. It cannot be localized. And that's what I try to explain to a lot of people. If you get hemmed up in that block of just trying to make people laugh here, you're not going to be able to make other people laugh other places. Because they're not going to relate to uh, Ben's Chili Bowl or uh go-go music. I mean things that are primarily only here that even people in here in the United States don't know about. If you go out west, everybody out west don't know about go-go.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, shoot. I, I, didn't, so, know. I didn't know about go-go living in North Carolina. I didn't know it's Did yeah, <laughs> in Virginia.
2: Exactly. There you go. And um and I've done some shows down like at the DC improv and what a lot of people don't realize down there is being that it's right downtown DC, a lot of tourists come in there. Something uh-huh. for them to do while they're here traveling. Oh, let's go see a comedy um, show. And uh, most of the talent, other than the headliners, like your host, your opening acts, are local.
1: Uh-huh.
2: You know, it's only the headliners that are out of town, so it becomes our job then to make these other people laugh. From wherever they're from, and uh, and I found out just a few weeks ago that they come from all over. I was down there performing during the cherry blossom during peak bloom. Oh my god! Mm
3: hmm.
2: Ain't nothing worse than tree traffic.
3: No, it ain't. I really not work. I work.
2: I it's work a block real- away different.
3: from it. It's wor- it's the it's the worst.
2: The worst. I mean, yeah, that's
3: the roughest part of the year.
2: It it is. I would I would take any other week. Uh I'm going to I take that back 'cause uh I work I work right near the World Bank. So I would say the two worst weeks in the year is uh peak bloom and the World Bank meetings.
3: Uh-huh.
2: IMF World yeah. Bank that's another <laughs> horrible time if you're right, but that that's only if you work right down there in the nucleus by the White House in that right. area. Um and I'ma tell you, I I uh I doubt it would get better, but I still after thirty eight years of living here, I still don't understand why people would come from around the world to look at a tree. Like you can print you know, you your own. Is it,
3: and they all over the DMV? That's the hey. bad thing. Like you can see a cherry blossom ride down Route 50 if you really want to, but
2: right but the- they harbor down and go right down to the <laughs> tidal basin. And then they get out of, they stop their vehicles in the middle of the street to take pictures. And when I tell you, ooh, I just be like, I just want to catch a case and kill them. Cause I'm uh-huh. like, I am trying to get home while you trying to get this
1: picture of this tree.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But. I ain't
1: gonna lie. I ain't gonna lie, this is my first year going. I went uh, March 22nd. Uh-huh. I think that's when they said Pete Blue was. Uh-huh. I was that guy in the middle of the street. That's sh- <laughs> I anyway, it, was, it was a good time it was a good between time, dri- uh, between
3: I, drivers and walkers man like you can't the lights that you can't get across a light because uh, like, the oh the walls they yeah, right the
1: block them shutting down two way streets to make them one way that was yeah. bullshit but that it was it was a good, i loved it i loved it it was a good time but I mean, That's,
2: it is till you got to drive in. So you got to get, get out, out of somewhere. Him. Right.
1: Well, yeah, it's a, it took me like three hours to get from my parking spot to like a half mile up the road. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think yeah. the
2: tourists just take everybody else's tourists. It's like, no. no, some of us live here and some of us is just trying to get to our J-O-B.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And y'all out here trying to take a picture of a tree.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: You can google, you can oh. google that bitch,
0: okay? <laughs> yes, trying
1: That's my parking spot. Can you have a question? Yeah,
3: I got a question. Uh, have you ever walked away from a show like, man, I didn't do great?
2: And uh, how did you
3: overcome that?
2: Uh, I walked away from, so I feel like in the beginning bands, a um, lot of people didn't understand my comedy. And
1: mm.
2: I felt like, so the problem I was encountering was I was feeling like the only people that was understanding my comedy was old people. And I wasn't able, I wasn't, like young people was just staring at me like, <laughs> like we all don't, we don't get it, we all know dead. what you're saying. And so it took me a while to realize, um, and I struggled with that because in the beginning, I kept trying to think of ways to make them laugh. In other words, I was trying to come up with something that I thought appealed to them. So basically in the comedic world, I was going to them. And that's not what you do as a comedian. As a comedian, you bring them to you. Whatever it is that you're doing, uh, it can be funny. And once I kind of realized that, and I was taught that, and and it's really about being your authentic self. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I was trying to, I remember calling my daughter and trying to get like insight from her. And then I remember he was saying to her, damn it, you too old, you ain't fucking helping me. She <laughs> need find somebody younger. Cause she couldn't tell me nothing about like, what does drip mean and all that, you know, and I was trying to find out like lingo and stuff. And she was like, I don't know. And I was like, damn, you an old bitch too. You ain't never. <laughs> up- <laughs> but I finally had to realize I had to stay authentically true to myself. And then once I did that, young people did relate to me because I would get young people come up and be like, Oh my God, you're so funny. You remind me of my auntie. You remind me of my mama. That's how my mama be talking. So (laughs) I just found my, you know, my niche, as you, I guess you would say, but it was always my niche. I just wasn't going about it the right way. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm very hard on myself with shows. I feel like if I didn't make every single person in there bust a gut, then I didn't do my job. So I'm very hard on myself. um, And I'm always working to strive better, but I stopped, I learned to stop beating myself up about Mm -hmm. those because at the end of the day, I don't know how to describe it. You know, you can do the, the same exact jokes for one audience and they'll fall out on the floor laughing. And then you can do the same exact jokes or set somewhere else and it's like crickets or it's like hee hee, you know, hee hee chuckle. And there's no rhyme or reason to it. I'm not sure. I mean, ultimately I've determined my material is funny because it's probably doesn't hit maybe 5% of the time. Just you know, depending on the audience sometimes. But at the end of the day, um, you have to just look at it like this. Did you have fun out there? Mm. Did you feel like you gave these people a show and gave them, you know, what they paid for? And at the end of the day, whether you thought it was hilariously funny or not, I feel like I leave my heart and soul out there on that stage. I come to bring entertainment. And if it didn't go well, I chalk it up. Uh, I may wallow in it that night a little bit. Like, damn.
1: Yeah.
2: I wish should could have been a better show. But the yeah. next day, I got to put it in the rear view. And I'm looking forward to the, And I'm moving forward to the next show. And that's all you can do. Because you're not going to be able to please all the people all the time.
3: Yeah, I agree.
0: So, I agree. When, my question is, what do you feel is the most difficult part of, about doing band? I guess
2: for me, it's... I don't know, like right now, I find what's difficult at this stage of my career is trying to juggle it in a full-time job.
3: Because
2: mm. I tell people all the time, I literally am doing both full-time. And I tell people I'm in the middle of, I'm in the direction of either a breakthrough or a breakdown. Like, uh, it, it's, um, it, it's a hard juggle and i i see now why people can't do it in other jobs and why a lot of people quit their day job to go into it cuz it's um it's a it's a jealous it's like the most jealous woman you've ever met comedy is very selfish um and the entertainment industry as a whole is very selfish um the way i explain it to people it is Comedy, and I'm, I'm this from a woman's standpoint, of course, comedy to me is like the best dick you ever had in your life. But you know he a hoe and his dick is dirty and you know he gonna knock your pH balance off and probably give you chlamydia, but you gonna keep going back to it each and every time. That's what comedy is. It's right. like the best ugliest thing you'll ever do in your life it's a grimy business it's competitive it's doggy dog they don't give a shit about you um you know you travel across the country it's grueling it's grueling travel you lose a lot of time with friends and family and i understand now when they say it's lonely at the top and you know why it's lonely because everybody else is doing their life, and you ripping the run of going to this show that show you know three, four, five times a week, and you just don't have a lot of time for anything else. It's very demanding
0: uh, well that 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 is a pretty impressive analogy <laughs> so, so we, yeah, but
3: it's under- but it's understandable i mean mm-hmm. anything anything that's that that's worth working for is going is going to take up oh, all the yeah.
2: time. Exactly. Like basically what I'm saying is one of the best feelings you'll ever have in your life, mm-hmm. but yet some of the worst feelings that you ever have in life because you're missing this or you're missing that or you're tired or you're, um, you know, you have to dedicate time to sit down. I can't hang out and go out and do this with my friends. I need to sit down and write material. You know, I have, like right now, I've been saying for the last two weeks, girl, sit your ass down and get to write. And you got two specials coming up and Mm -hmm. you need new material. Like, you need to write. It's something you should do every day. And I definitely don't have time to do it every day. Um, But right now, I'm just in a phase where I've just got to learn a good balance. Um, And I think for me, it was about grinding, grinding, grinding to get my name out there. And now it is sort of out there. So I feel like there's a part of me that's like, you just got to keep going. But in all honesty, for me to make this and to have longevity with it, uh, I've actually had to be strategic and I'm actually going to slow down a little bit, uh, more so on local shows, not so much on my traveling part, but to be able to free up a little bit more time in my schedule to do, um, to do other things, so my shows would be slowing down, uh, which they kind of need to because I don't want to oversaturate myself in the market here locally, to where people are like, okay, we're seeing her around here four or five times a week. I want to be mm-hmm. to a point of where people are like, okay, we don't see her that frequently, so when we do, we should go to her show.
0: Right. So my next question is, what does what does writing a routine look like for Gwen? Like when you're, when you're down when you're getting ready to write a routine or you're getting ready to, what is, what does that look like?
2: Uh, so it basically starts off with one premise. It starts off with one premise. And, uh, as they teach you, you write comedy five minutes at a time Hmm. and you expand off of it. So like, for example, I started with you know, the breast cancer. And like I said, I started off with that one little joke of, you know, uh, I'd been wanting a breast reduction for years and all I had to do was get a little cancer. I started with that one little joke and I expanded into it, um, you know, talking about the surgery part of it, the doctors talking about, uh you know how big my breast was before surgery you know and how they are now uh and then I tacked in other pieces you know to it about my ex-husband I just brand, you branch off or what they call ring the rag you just find other funny in it besides that main premise and you expand out to 10 then to 15 then to 20 um uh, and so on. Uh, Last summer, I was in a comedy competition uh, that I won, but uh, prior to winning, I remember saying, okay, I need to have new material to do versus what I did in the first show. So I needed an entire 15-minute set. So I didn't have time to write five minutes, see if it was going to be funny, write 10 minutes. So I literally spent a whole day and I wrote a whole 15-minute set of material because I knew my premise was dads. And I wanted to talk about fathers because it was Father's Day coming up. And that thing branched off into, let's see, how many different directions? I talked about how dads don't get nothing. You know, Which y'all are always overlooked compared to Mother's Day. You know, uh, then I talked about how they put a holiday on y'all's weekend uh, and how it didn't blow together. It didn't make sense to me because, you know, it's Juneteenth.
3: Ah, That's my birthday. So, yeah, I'm all for it. (laughs) You said I'm
2: all for it. But again, it still takes away from Father's this day because people are focused on Juneteenth, you know. And again, like I said by joke, Juneteenth. Is a celebration of freedom from a life of slavery, and Father's Day is a celebration of a life of induction into slavery with them kids, <laughs> so they don't match. Right. It don't make sense, and so then I spin off into more about Juneteenth, and uh, then I spin off into what about how uh, y'all only get one day, and LGBTQ get a whole month. They get pride. They get a whole month and they can't even make no kids like that. don't make no sense to me either. Then I branch off into the LGBTQ and jokes about that. And then I talk about my daughter. But if you see, this all came from one premise premise. of me saying, I'm going to talk about dads. And how do you go from dads all the way over here to LGBTQ? But that's how you take it and how it grows into an actual set.
0: All right. Well, uh Carlos, y'all got any any uh questions? I'm going to go ahead and oh, no. yeah. Well, when I appreciate your time, I'm going to go ahead and uh, wrap up the interview portion of uh you definitely gave a lot of nuggets. I appreciate your candidness and and just having a discussion with us about oh, you. you know what what you've done. I I'm going to say that I admire you and I'm proud of you, you know. I followed you Uh, through a lot of your shows, even when they were virtual to now. I always try to support as much as I possibly can. So, you know, if nobody ever said they're proud of you and they think you're doing an excellent job, I'm letting you know you're doing an excellent job. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you. I also appreciate you for taking care of my friend Melvin, who, you know, I I remember the joke that you had about him, about the motherfucker showing up one day and never leaving. Ah, Yeah.
2: It's part of my COVID COVID series. Um, But, yeah, I mean, again, small little things that just roll into big jokes. But I appreciate your support, Um, you and Vicky and uh, everyone that has been on this journey with me and stuck through it because, you know, and Melvin especially, I I don't give him enough credit due because he ain't signed up for this. He signed up for what he thought he was getting a woman that cooked good macaroni and cheese at Thanksgiving dinner. He thought he had signed up for buffet meals for life. He thought he had signed up with his own personal infomercial gourmet chef. That's what he signed up for. Now, poor Malva barely get a meal once a meet. It's, it's <laughs> poor Malva barely eat. We had chili on Easter Sunday. It was probably now this makes the second Easter, I did not cook Easter dinner like I usually do and i usually do a big spread and I had enough in the freezer to to muster up and pull together a pot of chili and that's all we had on Easter Sunday. And then I didn't have no crackers but I found some old stale tortilla chips and I crunched those up and put them on the top like crackers and and we made it work. Uh. And that was Easter.
0: You know, I do got one more uh, one topic I threw out questions for you. Uh-huh. The the Will Smith and Chris Rock incident. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about Chris Rock when he did his comedy show replying to it? And how do you feel about the incident when it first happened?
2: uh from a comedian standpoint, um, there really isn't any topics, I mean, we've gotten so politically correct, it's damn near impossible to really be a good comedian anymore because you have to try to think if you're offending somebody, you know, or or they'll find some way to find some offense in what you say. And I just feel like at the end of the day, the joke was not that bad. Will Smith laughed at the joke himself until he looked over at his wife's face, and then he looked at her, and he was like, "Damn, I got to fight to prove my love." Uh, right. And then he had he felt like obligated that he had to do something. That's the way I saw it. That's the way I saw it. Well, was wrong as hell. First of all, you just can't put your hands on people. Uh, second of all. I feel like you're taking away from the art of comedy once you start critiquing like what can be said and what can't be said. Yeah. Uh, I love how Chris handled everything. Uh, he did not respond quickly or rashly. He took his time and decided, you know, and he had already said, I'm, I'm going to address it in my form. And I don't blame him. He should have capitalized on this shit. We had we people still talking about this slap heard around the world, and it was over a year ago. Hell, I still tell a joke about it. The joke is amazing, and I can still get probably mo- months more out of this joke before it would just be too old. But, I mean, it was amazing how it dragged out and dragged down, so he should have played up on it. And I love how he got a live special, the very first... That's- very, very first live special that Netflix had ever done. Uh, I thought it was ingenious that he did it in Jada's hometown. He did it right here in Baltimore, which yeah. I thought was ingenious because I was like, uh, ain't, no, ain't no better hood crowd in Baltimore. I love performing in Baltimore, let me tell you. But my, um, I thought the special was great and the ending was perfect. When he said, when people ask me why you didn't hit him or slap him back, and he said, because of my parents. And my parents said, don't you act a fool in front of white folk. Now, I personally grew up to that saying my whole life, don't you get in here and act a fool in front of these white folks. So that to me, some resonated and I thought it was hilarious. I thought the way he put it together, everything he covered, It was a great, great special, uh, and I'm glad he was able to capitalize on his tragedy as we as comedians do. We take our tragedies and turn them into funny and money.
0: Okay. I mean, uh, I agree with everything you said. I I was, you know, I I started talking about this when it first happened. We did an episode. We talked about all that. We talked about it. We even talked about the, the special when it was coming out. You know, I just want to see what your opinion was because you are a comedian and how you feel about it. You ain't never had nobody walk up on the stage on you, right? Because I know Melvin would have hobbled his ass out there to beat somebody's ass.
2: Well, Melvin ain't always hobbled. There was a time when he was a genuine security guard for me, okay? Now he might have to beat him down with Kane, but (laughs) he'll be back strong. He'll be back. Um, I actually don't travel a whole lot with Melvin. Like, people think um, I do travel quite a bit on my own. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, again, I- I'm from the hood. A lot of people <laughs> don't know, you know, about Eleanor. They, you know, but that- that's the middle of the country. That's where a lot of gangsters stopped. That didn't make it all the way out west, okay? So there's-, there's a lot of hood in me, and I try to tell people, don't bring Gigi out. Don't bring Gigi out. So I've not had an issue, but I keep telling people don't let the old face fool you. A bitch might be old, but I still got a hell of a right hook.
3: Uh-huh.
0: Okay. Well, let's go into our first topic. We are we, going to talk about together fellas. Um one is you know, how to, and this is for everybody to answer. How do you feel about sports, comedy, acting? Do you feel that there's different rules for different people? In, in these fields, when when you talk about females, like they they're bringing up the Oscars now, whether or not instead of having a best actor and actress, it's just the best uh, the best leading person or whatever the case may be. And then, like you have the young lady from uh, LSU, and unfortunately I I can't remember her name, but she was uh, she was talking trash to another player who she's black, and the player happened to be white, and they made a big deal as if she was. Uh, I guess unladylike, uh, unsportsmanlike. When it's been known throughout the years that some of the greatest basketball players talked all kinds of trash to each other on the court and on the field, and it was never a big deal. You know, they, one of the biggest ones I remember was uh, Kevin Garnett told uh, uh,
1: Larry Bird.
0: Nah, not Larry Bird, but Larry Bird was a huge yes trash talker. He was know. a yeah, he was a worst man.
1: It's fucking right.
0: Nah, when, when Kevin Garnett told uh, Carmelo Anthony. That his wife tasted like Honey Nut Cheerios and Carmelo had, chased his ass through the whole through the whole the whole uh, basketball court trying to fight him. You know what I'm saying? That
1: might have been the best reaction, but
0: I don't know. Yo, I was like, yo, I would have fought him too. Going to tell me my wife tastes like Honey Nut Cheerios? Like, son, <laughs> that's great. You're right, but you know, trash talking a part of basketball is a thing. I know I did it when I played football. I trash talked all the time. And you know, it's just a it's just a question of do you feel like and maybe even your experience, Gwen, have you felt that there was a different either approach or how you was treated because you're a female, that that males have a different rule that they can play or even with their jokes or whatever the case may be. And I mean, but that's a it's a group discussion where anybody do
1: you know, the fellas, do y'all
0: feel like there's a difference? Gwen, do you feel like there's a difference? Whoever wants to talk about it
1: first is fine. So I so, think there's a difference in everything. Sports, comedy.
3: I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think
1: mean
3: that. yeah. The the thing about the Angela Reese answer that because that's her name. That's the name. Um, with LSU, it it, it turned racist. Like the the reason that, the reason it was said is that the you know what I'm saying the, the girl um that she did it to did the exact same thing to other people. Yeah, and the funny thing is is that um, the, the, girl from Iowa, she wasn't offended. Oh yeah. It was everybody else is who made the big deal about what she did and said it was us sportsman like and all of this and all of that stuff. And the funny thing is is the person that she did it to wasn't offended because she knew that she had done the exact same thing to other people. So it, it, it just speaks to society in society's judgment of the actual situation is what made it a big deal, right? So society is the one that pointed out that Angela Reese didn't, di- didn't act the way they, that she should have acted according to them, right? Yeah. So, but it, for the incidents that, that took place, I mean, I think that, you know what I'm saying, trash talking is trash talking, it's just about who wants to make a big deal of that particular situation. You know what I mean? Now, from a room perspective, I I think that if it would have been male or female in that instant, it would have been the same thing because it wasn't about the actual trash talking. It was about one person was white and one person was black. That's what it was really about. And the way Angela Reese acted, everybody everybody expected her not to act that way, which I don't really understand why because the other girl acted the exact same way. Now, rules from male to female, yeah, there's there's definitely rules that society has placed out there that they are treated fair the, the exact same. Um it's always been that way. And 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 it's the same thing with L G P P T PT community, uh, them as well. Everybody says, Oh, they're not treated fairly. And it's like, um, you can look at every single race, every single gender. Every single group, age, and and point out situations where society makes the choice on whether or not things are going to be fair for that particular I mean, generation.
1: Social media is is screwing. It is. is what's causing this. It it really is. It really is. There's rules that are out there. I mean, that are uh, yes, they're going to go one way or another. But but in social media, just blows it up and it turns it into something completely different.
3: Hmm. Agree. It's definitely a contributor to 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 the situation, um, but the rules are the rules are still there. So whether right. social media was was there or not. So I mean, mm-hmm. there's definitely there's definitely some biases in in, in the U.S. and uh, around the world that um, males, females. I mean, if you just look at the male role male and female role in the United States versus the male and female role in these other countries, that'll tell you that the right. rules are different for both. So, uh, but that's just a, that's a cultural thing yeah. and mm. it's something that, you know what I'm saying, needs to be addressed. Whether or not it's fair or not, uh, I don't believe it's fair, but you know what I mean? That, that's something that society is is, is
0: influencing. I agree. Who? Huh? I was saying, what do you think about it, Gwen?
2: Uh, I agree. Uh, first of all, I feel like um, women are always going to struggle, especially in male-dominated industries. Um, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but it, I guess it's my personality, but it draws to male-dominated uh, fields, I uh-huh. legal field. The legal field has always been male-dominated. Uh, I now work in the comedy field. The com- comedy field is male-dominated. It's like, I i guess I'm not happy unless I am working in a uh, an environment that I constantly have to struggle and prove my worth. I don't know why, but that's something, I guess, within me. But uh, women are always going to be paid less. We're always going to. We're just not. I don't ever see that changing. Uh, or at least not in our lifetime. Let me put it that way. Um, We've struggled uh, as a people. Black people have struggled a long time. And uh, LGB people have struggled and have their fair share. But I say they they overcame way longer before we did. uh, Because we struggled a long time. I mean, let's look at it and let's keep it real. We struggled... Uh, to see ourselves represented in TV for decades, decades, like, you know, half a century. We struggled before we started really seeing, like, real content about us. And it just started recently, but we fought this battle for, what, the last 40, 50 years to see content about us? And then now, all of a sudden right as we overcoming the LGBTQ overcame and passed us because there's always going to be someone in that LGBT community in every single show now. And I tell people it has nothing to do with the fact that uh, because they're gay or transgender, it has to do with, all, if, if every gay person was black, they would not be to the place that they are. It's They're where they are because there are white people that are gay. And unfortunately, as long as the entitlement of the Caucasian culture is always going to uh, push something else or whatever they're behind, they will push that agenda and push it through faster than normal. The only reason we're even where we are now with Black Lives Matters is because white people became appalled and jumped in on this. You know we've been saying for years they're killing us, they're killing us, and nobody paid attention, nobody cared. But once it caught the right amount of people of white people's attention and something that was finally addressed, and I mean we still got a long way to go, but at the end of the day, we have to just remember that they really haven't overcome either because I watched the LGBT community struggle in the black community. They're not as far along as the white LGBTQ side of the community is.
0: So Albans as a is a gay white man, how do you feel about that?
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, you gonna sit on it. <laughs> Sorry, my bad, I had to throw that. You said it. I had you to throw enjoy it? Any- <laughs> yeah, yeah, you enjoy it. You enjoy it. You enjoy it, too. No, nah, OK. Um, yeah I, 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 yeah, I don't know. No, nah, go ahead. How you feel? What do you think? No, 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 I'm just saying. Nah, I don't know. I just want to take your perspective on this.
0: OK. Well, no, nah, it's, it's just something that, uh, well, you know, I was going, I was going, the whole thing was talking. I thought you were joking. Down. Is he
2: really, Um, is he really gay? Hell no. I don't know. Oh, Cause I was about to say I want to hear your perspective on it. There ain't no fucking reason.
1: No, it's just beast being a retard well, I mean, no. No, Whatever. Yeah.
0: He's he's God
2: mentally pattern. challenged. Uh, yeah, mentally he challenged. a Helmet that's right, that's with right. a chin strap. He need a helmet with
0: a chin. He
1: does. Strap. He does. Even then, yeah, I don't think that's gonna help. Hey but- First of all,
0: I, I I grew out of my helmet, so I no longer have to wear it. I mean, you're still you're still drooling. That, so white the white that one. Find
2: one to fit your big meat That's what all it is.
0: Right, awesome. right. Well, anyway, we going let's we gonna keep it going and let's uh you know talk about the next topic, which is comedy specials. What are your top three comedy specials that you have loved in the 2000s? So. I kind of changed my list around. I definitely have Ooh. people I don't think. I uh, I have a few guys that I don't think none of y'all may have listened to or may have, but um. Oh no, who, who wants to go first? All right, All right our bands. All
1: right, here we go. All right, number three. I'm going to go with Bill Burr. Okay. Why do I try?
0: Meh. All
1: right, Bill Burr, why do I try? Uh, number uh-huh. Three.
0: I can't say
1: nothing uh-huh. about that. I, I respect Bill Burr. Uh-huh. Comedy Bill Burr is a shit. Huh? One of Sykes. Sick ah. and Tired. Okay. Sick and Tired, that shit. Yeah, that shit was good.
3: Yeah, that's on my list.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was either that or it was a it, Tongue and Tie, which came out I think a year after, but yeah, yeah. Sick, and, Sick and Tired was good, and then Dave Chappelle killed that. him softly.
0: Maybe I gotta watch that one because that one I remember. You I know
1: you have to watch that one. One of her yes. shows
0: that I did not find that funny, but I guess it.
1: Wanda Sykes said, "What is
0: what is it called?"
1: Uh uh sick and tired. Yeah, yeah. Then Dave Chappelle killing them softly.
0: Yeah, I, I'm assuming it's Dave my number one. On a lot of people's lists, but yeah, killing them softly was was. That was one of his first ones, right? That was one of the original. That was That was two thousand
1: or two thousand, two thousand one, right there. It was.
0: I remember that. I think that was the one he did in D.C. Was that? Was that? Was he in D.C. when he did that? I think he was, but I'm not 100 percent sure.
1: It might have been, but yeah, honestly, I don't remember. It was a long, long time ago. I
0: mean, you. uh, It's a respectable list, you know. I will go. Go ahead and let that go. and won't, 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 fight against it too much. What about
1: you? What?
3: Ah, uh, I mean, uh, the one one is, is up on the line. Kings of comedy was great to me. So. Yeah.
0: Huh? Uh, um, comedy was legendary. It was definitely.
3: Yeah, a legendary. Show. That, that was. In was close break. It. Hey, y'all probably gonna dog me for this one, but, and I don't, cause I don't know, I don't know. I gotta look it up which one it was. But the Cat Williams one, when he was talking about the tiger, yeah, I don't be- that Pimper. was his best. Epipodalic. That was the dad with that, that joint was dope. Epipodalic. That's that's okay. in you.
0: That was in, that was in what year? That was
3: two thousands.
0: Two thousand two, I wasn't
3: sure. Let me find it. No, no, all right,
0: Cat Williams, okay. What's number three?
3: Oh, yeah. Wilder I, Sites Is she the one? It was Wilder Sites Kansas Comedy, and uh, Hell. The Pimpadelic. Okay. 2009 was Pimper Delic.
0: Okay. Yeah. I can respect that list. I can't really say much about it. I'm going to be the one to, to name some to, to name. stuff. So, so, when did you want to go? I'll I go next. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go
2: last.
0: I'm All trying right. to
2: find the name of the one that I'm looking for.
0: All right, so I'm going to go from three to one. Number three, I put uh, Burt Kreischer, The Machine. Came out in 2016. I don't know if you saw that comedy show or you're familiar with him as a comedian. Yes. He does a routine on how he took Russian in college and never knew Russian, not one word of Russian, but he took it all the way to the point that he went to Russia on a trip and he became the machine, and they ended he Ended up joining the Russian mafia and robbing his own train. So <laughs> that 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 to me was the beginning of it. He has three other comedies: uh, Secret Time and something else. I I I think Bert Crusher is hilarious as a comedian. I relate to him. I relate to him in his stories because his stories sound just like some shit I would be doing. So. I've always liked him the next. So number two is Jim Jeffries. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He has a comedy special 2018 called This Is Me Now. Jim Jeffries is is an Australian. He's an Australian uh, comedian. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Have y'all ever heard of Jim Jeffries? No. out of curiosity. All right, well, he has at least four or five comedy specials on Netflix. And every single one of them is hilarious. I remember uh, when I first got introduced to him, I was in New York with my wife. who was on a trip. And uh, let's just say I just got finished putting my wife to bed, and I was sitting there by myself. So I was like, fuck it. And I started watching it. I started watching of his comedy shows, and I laughed so hard. The entire time, I was crying by the end of it and woke my wife up. And then, uh, you know, I, I started watching all his comedy shows after that. And he, 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 to me, has one of the best comedy specials. Like, any of them are funny. So, then last, of course, my number one is going to be Dave Chappelle. And it'll be The Closer. It's last of the most recent series. That'll be my number one, uh, 2021. I mean, if you really... Yeah, but I know, thought you were saying 2000s. No, I meant through in, in the 2000s, like 2020, 2020 last 2000, 20, 2000 yeah, last 20, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got I missed miss it, but I guess you want you probably thought, I, uh, so my thing was, um, I didn't want to too, to 2010 is 2000s. Nah, uh, uh, I, I meant it's, well, 2021 is the 2000s too, so but anyway, mm-hmm. decided, mm-hmm. but anyway, mm-hmm. I was, um. I Forgot what I was going to say. I mean, if you want to change your list, you can definitely change it. Uh, no, Dave Chappelle, the closer. I mean, that was those three. All three of those specials are great to me that he did in that in that series. And the closer was just one, the one that just kind of like put the emphasis on the whole the whole show. And to me, Man. it was comedic genius. And Dave Chappelle will always be on my number one for any list. So. You know that, that that's what I just got to say about about mine. But if y'all haven't checked out Jim Jeffries, I'm telling you, check him out. The man is hilarious. Yeah. Jim Jeffries, yes, he is. Yeah. So, like I said, he's an Australian guy, but he talks, man. He has this one set where he talks about uh, he talks about America. He was like Americans, and even talks about Trump and all this other kind of stuff. It was hilarious. Great. So, Gwen, what about you? What's your uh? Uh, so, mine uh, no.
2: i a little bit. Um, coming in number three, Cat Williams, Pippa Down.
0: Okay. Well, I well. mean,
2: prior to Dave coming back on the scene, Cat had it on a lot. I mean, Cat well, came out with some good shit back in, in the early 2000s. Well, we was really missing Dave Chappelle, uh, which worked out good because that allowed him to shine. I don't believe Cat Williams would have been able to become as big as he was if Dave Chappelle didn't take, like, a hiatus, you know? Mm -hmm. And take that break for that while. So he was a great fill-in. And I would say number two, um, who's a new one on my list that I just uh, got turned on to since COVID, Andrew Schultz. Okay. And in this tour called Infamous, and it's amazing. The boy is bad.
0: Bad man, yeah, bad man. I, I, I like him too. He's he's very funny. He's very, very
2: funny. And then uh, my number one is Dave Chappelle. But my number one Dave Chappelle is Sticks and Stones.
0: Okay, that's
1: good. And that's hard, good. That was yeah.
0: One of his best. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I agree with all. I agree with all. That. I mean, you know, it's not, you know, comedy, comedy is subjective. And and you know, some people may think other people are funnier than you know other things. So. It's interesting. I'm not gonna lie. I always wanted to try out doing stand up and doing the comp, but I just can't. I, I don't. I don't. It's, too I, it's I, never I, too late. Well, no, I just don't. I'm not. I don't. I don't. I just. I wouldn't have the love. Like I, you, you know. I, somebody says something to me, I end up fighting in the middle of the crowd or some shit. You know what I'm saying? I don't got that patience and love for. Or doing it, man. But I mean, I've seen like, I went to one of your shows and you had a, a comedian friend there. I don't remember his name, but he was hilarious. And I, and I loved him because he was insulting this, the crowd. He would insult you and then make you laugh about it. Like, within, it was genius watching him go. And this was uh, when, one of the shows you did at uh, I can't remember. Body it Oasis. No, nah, it wasn't Body Oasis. This was the one you did in um, the Pyramid or something. I think was the name of that place.
2: Oh, clearly down
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was
2: absolutely Lawrence Owens.
0: Yeah, man. That's
2: you. it. I'm telling you, he's a comedic genius. Uh I'm telling you, he should be on this list. Like, I don't know how this man is not on Netflix yet, how he's not made it. Uh, 20 years in the game. He's my mentor. Uh, he he's taught me what I know to this point. But yes, he's the only comedian I know that can talk shit on you and make you laugh at yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because, I mean, he was brutal to some people out there. And I was just like, whoa. And then I watched him win those people right, right back. back. Right, right back. Right back. And I couldn't, I was like, yo, this dude is really good. It's like watching a Master Series. Yeah, the you need
2: to get him on your show one day.
0: Hey, man, I like, hey, I would love to get him on the show. Make that happen for me, Gwen. You know, all right, but today is about She's you, and, and we're going to keep it about you. Hey, you know, I definitely want to thank you for coming on here. Uh, Guys, did y'all have any any, any questions for Gwen or anything else that y'all want to bring up and talk before we get ready to finish the show?
3: Nah, I just want to say thanks for joining us. We appreciate you.
0: Thank
2: you for having me in the men's, man. It's <laughs> where I'm <laughs> most comfortable, though. <laughs>
0: Hey well Gwen you are amazing. Thank you for coming out. I'm glad to have you on on here we all appreciate you and and, and the, the things you do and the, the information you gave us today. And, and please and, um,
2: continue to follow me uh, on all social media platforms the Gwen factor um and, and and check out shows. I I can't stress it enough. The support is always 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 needed. Uh you know, and I try to put on some of the best productions I can, giving you a wide variety of entertainment, but always just keep supporting, keep following, tell a friend, bring a friend, as I like to say, and hope to see you in the audience soon.
0: Well, I'm sure you I'm sure you made had a couple more fans here today. Definitely, you know, oh, absolutely. And um, you know, we, we appreciate you. It's been great talking to you. And uh, and you know as you as you continue to grow and flourish, you know, I, like I said before, you know, here here at Dad Mentality, we want to say, I want to say, I appreciate you and thank you for being who you are and always being genuine and, and you know coming in and talking to us and doing just doing your thing and being you. You know, like you said, you you're you and you make and you make things funny. So I mean,
2: I, I can only tell it the way I see it. It, like it uh, says on your shirt, I can right. only tell I mean, it the way I, I see
0: it. I <laughs> brought out the shirt for you. I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna make sure I brought what my shirt." So you know, it's a uh,
2: look. I know you'll be washing cars with that bad boy any other time, but I appreciate
0: you pulling it out. <laughs> hey, hey, I love, I, I love you. I appreciate you. We're gonna go ahead and in the show, fellas. Thank you again. This is Dad Mentality. You can see us on YouTube. You can see us on. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, across all platforms. It's dad__mentality. You can catch us at email, dad underscore mentality at, you, at yahoo or gmail.com. Please check us out. Make sure y'all like and subscribe. Don't Also, don't forget on Monday through Friday, I stream, play uh, playing video games live. Me and our bands, we have a good time. You can join us. Join our chat. It's on Twitch. You can see that. That one is at the Beast 1. But if you put in Dan Metalli, you also find, find me there. You can go to our link tree and find a, a link to that, too. So we're, we're always streaming live. We're always doing this every week. Next week, uh, I think it's just going to be us, fellas. Um, and we're, we're going to have a good time. So thank you, everybody, for listening. God bless you. Good night. Thank you. Good night. All right. Thank you.